Welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me is Mr. Chris Elstrom. How are you, Chris? I'm doing good, Jody. Ah, How are you? I'm doing okay. I am not as bouncy as you are, though, because I don't drink the same substance that you do. Yeah, I got to have my coffee several times a day to keep me chugging along. (laughs) Like a train. Choo-choo! But it's on a bouncy wheel thing. Yeah. Come on. Mm. Let's go. Let's go. Chugga, yeah, chugga, if chugga. not, the uh, the train comes to a grinding halt. Uh-oh. That's not good. Yeah. Halts are it's bad. It's not pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not, not pleasant. I, I guess it's depending on the halt. But mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, uh, I, I do like my coffee. <laughs> Is there any particular – you know, well, let's take just a quick moment. Any particular flavor that you're like really like, oh, my God, this is to die for? Um, as in like specific coffee grounds or, or are you talking about flavored coffee? Cause I'm one of those, I, I, I almost hesitate to call myself a coffee drinker cause I usually use a lot of flavoring in it. Um, <laughs> coffee so, mate? or you go yeah, more natural, like yeah. sugar. No, so and, I usually, I, I just like to have like a little bit of, uh, well today I have a little bit of like Italian sweet cream, but, uh, Anything yeah. with now I want to drive sugar, a Ferrari. I'm all in. What's that? Now I want to drive a Ferrari. Right? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If mm-hmm. we want to talk Ferrari, we can talk about uh, yeah the new driver Carlos Sainz for the F1. But uh, mm. no, we're gonna we're, we're gonna <laughs> get back into the things about music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a recent uh, F1 fan convert, so oh boy. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I did. If you would have told me that a couple of years ago, I was like, yeah, you know what? You're going to get really into F1. I thought you'd (laughs) be crazy, but uh, here we are. Yes. So today's episode, we're going to start looking into some of the aspects of the world of chains. And I don't mean the kind that you wear over your neck like the rock when you're trying to look tough working out. I'm talking about gear that goes from your microphone or whatever instrument it is to your recording system and the stuff that happens in between. And more specifically, today we're going to talk about... Vocal chains. Yes, vocal chains. Chains that you use when you're trying to record somebody emitting something from their mouth. <laughs> That's probably a bad joke in there somewhere, but I'm uh, yes. sure there is. I, I, one scene from Howard Stern's movie comes to mind immediately. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> all right. I, I'm just going to continue with the podcast then, I guess. All right, but let's do but that. no, uh, in, in all seriousness, all joking aside, uh, I think starting with any microphone source, and in this case, you know, a voice is uh, a good place to start. <laughs> Especially uh, when it comes to vocal chains. <laughs> with vocal chains, yes, absolutely. So um, yes, we're I talking about something. certain steps that yes. um, the signal goes through. Um, certain steps. And so one of the first steps is to have something like this right here. This thing you, is called a microphone. Yes. It and, is a uh, dynamic microphone, but it yeah. is still a microphone and it is a good one. This particular one that I'm holding in my hand is an M81 by Telefunken. It's a lot like an SM58. Seven. Eight. It's a lot like 58. a 58, but it's it's not a 58. It has a different 
EQ curve to it and everything, but it is a nice microphone, which is why I have one. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. On that note. On uh, that no. note, <laughs> that is the first thing we generally tend to look at. It's You might not be recording vocals with a, an M81 in the studio. You certainly might use them live. Although there is a famous, 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 no T on the end of that, vocalist who is known for using an SM58 in the studio. Do you know who it is? Uh, well... I think I know who you're going to say, but then I would correct you. I think it's a 57. Is it a 57? Because you're talking Bono from U2, right? Yes, I am talking Bono from U2. I do believe it's a 57. Oh, well, I stand corrected. But, but, but the, the idea there is, I mean, we talked about that in the episode when we talked recording vocals. Yes. That um, microphones are very dependent on what's going to work for the, the vocalist, voice. individual vocalist, right? Yes, yeah. the individual, so, which is why you should have a collection of microphones if you can afford it. I don't recommend going and getting a credit card and suddenly like buying ridiculous amounts of gear, specifically microphones that can be anywhere from cheapo to super ridiculous expensive. Yeah. Like you could buy a house with a particular microphone, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Depending on what part of the country you're in. Uh, but the mic and having a good mic selection will help you on your first step in a vocal chain, get somewhere from the voice to your recording gear and being able to hear what a mic can do on someone's voice yeah. is a big first step. Right. And of course, uh, also, there, it's nice to have, um, especially obviously if you're running your own studio or, or looking to record more people to have a, a variety of mics to choose from. But yes. when you're starting out, obviously, if you, if you have one microphone, that's your microphone. That's the one that you use. So don't think that you have to have like a bunch of different ones. Options are great. Options are great. But, but that shouldn't stop you from doing the best job that you can with what you have. Yes. And that's why I said, don't go get a credit card and buy a bunch of shit. Yeah. So, ooh, <laughs> Make the that, money first, then buy the shit. Right. Then expand accordingly. Yeah. Um, but there are also, I'd be remiss if I wouldn't mention that there are a lot of great options today with, um, with microphones that use emulations to emulate different mics. Personally, well, yeah, I, there's I'm a, a big of Slate user. Ones. I am talking into an ML1 from Slate right now uh, that does, has a supremely flat response in itself. Yep. And with software emulates a bunch of different mics that I know that I wouldn't in current day <laughs> uh, be able to afford. So um, that's another possibility that they can go into as well. But, but well, again, right now... Your your ML one is acting like what? A C twelve, and you can't see it on my screen. But what is actually taking my voice in is an actual C twelve. So there you go. At some point, we need to get side by side with the two things and and see how similar they really are in terms of a real yes. C12 next to an emulated C12. Obviously, granted, when you do the emulations, they're emulating one particular made Mike. c12 yeah. it's not like they went and modeled 10 of them or 100 of right them. it's not they like every c12 sounds the same uh, they, so, they sound yeah. relatively close to the same but they're not the same there's always right. minute differences in there so, yeah 
but yes, the, the emulations are really cool. There's another one that is available through a company called Townsend Labs. Yes. And they make some mic emulations through their software that works with the Universal Audio Apollo system, and it's really quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's really cool. I, I We're getting off topic slightly here, but I do remember sometime, I want to say mid to late 90s, where, do you remember, it was it was like Antares or whatever that came out with, like a mic emulation plug-in. It was supposed uh, I don't to do think something. It was yeah, I think it was the people that did Auto Tune or that do Auto Tune. Oh, then it was in yeah. conjunction with Groove Tubes. Oh, was it? Yes. But I, there was there was one thing where you okay, you select this is my mic, and mm -hmm. I have a fifty eight, and if I pull down in the drop down menu, now it's going to sound like a U eighty seven. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't technology. That great, but wasn't, yeah. yeah. But I believe is, that started with Groove Tubes because it was Aspen Pittman that I think did that. And then interesting. I, it might I have been Antares that. that actually did the programming, but it was. Yeah. And oh, I, the I underlying that. technology could have been somebody else. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that, that's off topic. So, well, uh, it's sort of on topic because we're talking about how to get a particular mic sound for somebody's voice. So it represents the voice well right from the get go. Right. Right. So, it, what happens? As a, as a quick A side, that would be the same whether you're micing up uh, a guitar cabinet or whatever it is that you pick the right mic and they will affect, affect the sound in a certain way. Off but topic anyway. alert. Boop, boop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's get back. Let's train back on track. Yes. We're so getting um, back on the vocal train. Chain, so after chain the, um, after the microphone, what happens then, Jody? Usually, usually in your Old school studio, you would go from a mic through a mic cable plugged into a preamp so that you could get the proper gain out of the mic. And what other reason? Well, it colors the sound too, depending well, on the preamp. I was thinking of if you have, you know, if it's a fountain power type of thing. Oh, yeah, yes, well. yes. Some mics yeah. require power, some do not. Yeah. So if it requires power, you're mic is going to get that power from your preamp, generally right. speaking, yeah. or your mic power source. Like the C12 yeah. actually has a power source that yeah. sends the power, takes a signal, and then sends the signal on down to a preamp. Uh, right. But yes, if you have mics that aren't specialized in that regard and they require phantom power, your preamp is generally going to provide that. Yeah. And that's... That's an important stuff because if you go, why am I not hearing my microphone? Well, because it probably requires <laughs> requires power, power. Fool. So, yeah, yeah, or it won't work. Just yes. like I require coffee to work, it requires <laughs> phantom power. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. if you get enough phantom power, your mic's going to start bouncing just like Chris. Yes. <laughs> I apologize in advance. Um, okay, so. We got in there. Then what? So now what we got kind of power amps or preamps, I should say, not power amps. What kind of preamps could have, well, like, like, what's a good, what's a known preamp to you that would be like, hmm, yes, that's a quality preamp right there. Well, it would be the Neve, right? Um, now, it's, what's that, the 73, 1073? 1073, yeah. There's, there's uh, definitely could that. be. I mean, it, it could be also just, you know, if you're, 
going through a console if you're just the, the pre on the console. So, yep. but, but I guess we're assuming for this podcast that we're not sitting in front of an SSL or a Neve board or anything like that. But but let's say that you know a Neve 1073 or something like that, maybe a Telefunken. Um, Another thing that comes to my mind is the Avalon 737. A lot of people use that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. As a yeah, pre- that that was. You had one. I of those. owned one. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. I remember quite enjoying that. Because, uh, <laughs> well, no, because we did. I did quite a few vocal sessions with you. Yes. Uh, and uh, I, I thought it sounded. I thought it sounded good. I thought it sounded really warm. And with uh, the setup that you had at the time, we didn't need to be very heavy-handed with them. Oh it, no! It was yeah. just you were just kissing the level a little bit with some with some slight compression and maybe a little bit of like roll off or EQ. on the low end or something yeah. like that but very very slight so i enjoyed um uh, i like that unit i like it it is it's a good unit that's why a lot of people tend to use it it is a and, very clean unit yeah and you also have the uh groove tubes vipri which is as far as i know still the only all tube balanced mic pre hmm. that was ever made. Wow. I don't know if it's the only one ever made, but I think it's, well, I'm pretty sure it might be the it's only one It's a good unit made. anyway. It is, well, it is a finicky unit for a lot of people. <laughs> but it is <laughs> a very tell. amazing, it is a very amazing uh, preamp in that um, it is extremely clean and quiet and can do a ridiculous amount of gain. I think it goes up to, let's see, 75 dB of gain. Wow. All tube, all tube, 75 dB of gain. It's ridiculous. That's, um, that's, that's girthy. <laughs> yes, it's a lot of gain. And it has a variable impedance selection to it as well so you can use it without the variable impedance but the variable impedance means that you can change the character of the mic based on the ohms that you are running it at Hmm. and it has four selections on its impedance selector when you select the impedance you have 300 600 1200 and 2400 uh, 300 was generally used for old school ribbon mics and that nature. 2400 is most modern mics at this point. But if you drive a mic with different omens, you can get different values out of that mic such that what I mean by that is, is if I have a modern mic like the C12 that I have, it's based off of old school technology, but it is a modern mic. And it should generally run at 1200 ohms. But right now I'm running it at 12 uh, 2400 ohms. I'm running it at 12 right now for the podcast and all the recordings that I do with the podcast because I'm not sitting right up on the mic. If I ran it at six, I could step further back. If I ran it at three, I could step even further back because what it's like is that the lower the homage, the further the mic appears to kind of reach out into space to actually grab the voice. That's very interesting. It is. It's. It's a. There's a video that Aspen Pittman did before he passed away on YouTube, and if you look up Vipri Aspen Pittman on YouTube, you'll find his. I think it's about a half hour long of him describing exactly how it works, and he does it with a dynamic microphone. 
And it's amazing when he switches that homage around, you start to hear the differences of how far it's reaching into somebody's mouth, so to speak, from the source of the mic based on the homage. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah, it's I, wild. I've never tried that. That sounds crazy. So essentially at 300 ohms, I could stand much further back. I will still sound like I'm right up on the mic, but I will also get an enormous amount of the room sound as well. Right. If I was at 2400 in order to get the same impact out of that vocal from the Vipri, I'd have to get right up on the microphone. Hmm. So it's almost a way to, to kind of avoid dealing with proximity effect in a way. Yeah. So that, that's a really cool factor to the Vipri, in addition to the fact that it has different rise times for how quick the signal will pass through certain sections of the, of the preamp and whatnot. But it right. is strictly just a mic pre. It does nothing else, no right. it, natural tube compression that happens from just running the tubes. But uh, no specific compressor, no specific EQ and uh, things of that nature. It's strictly for gain, and it is you can get a massive amount of gain out of the damn thing. It sounds like, yeah. So I have a question then. Yes. So could you potentially just do that by uh, running it at a higher homage to essentially remove room in the recording? Uh, I don't know if it would be removing room in the recording, but essentially what it is is that if I ran it like at 2,400 ohms compared to 300 ohms, yeah, I need to get much closer to the mic to get the same amount of like volume going, so to speak, okay. in the depth yeah. of what's happening. But because I'm closer to the mic, you're not going to hear quite as much of everything right. else going on around me. Okay, so it, it would have that result, but by different means. It doesn't. Yeah, I got you. And it would okay. also be based upon the polarity pattern of the mic as well. Sure. Because if it's something that's hypercardioid, uh -huh. you're not going to get as much of the surrounding sound as you would at the front and back. Right, yeah. so to speak. And uh, if you had something that's a little bit less directional, then yeah, the the lower the homage starts to happen, the higher the amount of like space you're going to hear sure, around yeah. whatever is being picked up. Yeah, maybe you should describe those patterns real quickly about the the microphone patterns, of like, like figure omni eight or hypercardioid and all. Okay, that so stuff. figure eight means that your mic is pulling in essentially a little ball in front and a little ball behind. And if you're looking mm -hmm. at me on the video, you're like, "What the hell is he doing with his hands?" Um, <laughs> the hypercardioid tends to narrow that width and and focus most of its attention to the front side of the mic. Um, then there's varying degrees of how much a, a figure eight of cardioid could happen in that it could increase the width of the front and back. And then with uh, Omni, it doesn't matter where you're standing in the 360 degree field of the mic, it's going to pick up everything equally. Right. Now, does that mean that it is, uh, well, it's, it depends on what you want out of your sound. Really, sure. as to but, why but you're also, doing that. Yeah. And not every mic is able to do that. Some right. mics just have that one pattern, right? But yes. um, it might be cool, let's say, that if you have a figure eight where you're you're tracking two people doing background vocals at the same time. You can have them one in front, like either one in end back. of the mic. Yeah. yeah and or if you want like an omni, if you want, let's say, even a larger choir and you want a little bit more of the room and kind of get that thing. Let's say that you got like uh a gospel choir or something or, or something that, that might be a cool thing to try out. Yes. And so uh, that is uh, like the C12 that I have is capable of doing multiple patterns. 
like that. Whereas the dy the dynamic mic that I held up at the beginning, which in podcast land you can't see it, but on the video you can. Uh, yeah, that is definitely just a front end type mic where it's rejecting pretty much everything else that comes from to the side and the back of the mic is not getting near the attention as the front end of where yep. the mic is pointed. So, yes. Good. Good explanation. That's the right. explanation I'm giving right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but that, I think it's good. It's just an overview of like, but it's different patterns of how the microphone picks up sound essentially, so. Yes, um, and that is like the very, that, that's your first and second step, your microphone, your preamp. Yeah. And then what? Then we move into, depending on hardware land, if you're going into tape, you're likely going from your preamp into your console. If you're right. in software land, like most people are these days with DAWs, you're going from your preamp into your audio interface. Yeah. If you're using a preamp before your audio interface, I should say. Right. Yeah, because today... Well, really some the, preamps the audio interfaces you, are all in one where you have actually the preamp built into built the, into, into the, the audio, audio interface, interface yeah. depending on the audio interface. Yeah. There are some interfaces that are strictly just converters that they do nothing else but but uh right. generally on most um mid-range to budget interfaces you'll have all in one type of a thing. So, um Yep. Yeah. Um, so let's say that we're in, uh, well, I guess most people that may be listening to it are probably in, in the box at this point, right? So, yeah, um, most so people. let's, maybe we'll tackle that first now. So let's say that you've gone into your interface and, uh, if you don't have, like I said, a separate power supply for, for a phantom mic, I would venture to say that all interfaces will have a fountain power Switch. on at least one channel. So uh, that will take care of that as well. Yes. Um, now, that's something to consider as well. If you say, well, I have this nice rack mount compressor I'd like to use before I hit my interface. Well, unless that can transmit the fountain power, you're kind of SOL there. So, <laughs> Well, you can do it. It just might not get you the most ideal sound. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, but if, if you know, the compressor that you have, the standalone won't transmit that phantom power well, from your interface. Your, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, um, but we're into the interface now. And obviously, I guess I'm, I'm assuming that people know how to hook up their interface with their DAW, their recording system. We already talked. Um, that was episode one. So let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Um, so now we have... So I guess the best way to think about this is maybe we, we uh, determine that we're going to, to stand off on the whole concept of just going, we're, we're talking digital. We're not talking hardware yeah. at this point. So <clears throat> the concept of having the preamps that we were just talking about may not apply if you're going mic direct to interface. Yes. And it would now apply within the software. Right. Yeah. And we'll we'll take a moment right there to pause and contemplate that. And we're coming back now and saying that if you're going into your interface at this point with your microphone, the first thing you'd want to do is hit it with some sort of preamp if your software has it. 
Yes. So you can get the gain up on the mic so that you get a good vocal level. Now, that being said, most hardware gear, which a lot of plug-in software emulates, mm -hmm. takes what kind of signal, Chris? State your question again. <laughs> what kind of signal level are we talking? Oh, you're talking about not driving it too hard? Is that where you kind of get? Yeah. Bingo. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a different, you know, if you're in contrast to hardware where you would hit and you would hit in the red, essentially driving the signal, you could potentially just get a pleasant distortion. Uh, if you're applying that same thing now with most software today, that is still somewhat true. But the reality is that what we kind of want to get at here, what I think Jody's going for is don't record as hot as you can. Uh, keep your your gain structure a little bit more reasonable because the signal to noise level is not the same as it was with analog gear. We have mm -hmm. a little bit more headroom. So um, I... What do like you shoot for? I like to shoot for about minus 12. Mm. And I know that's higher than you like to go. Yes, it but, is. But uh, yeah, because you're probably around minus 20, something no, like that. No, no, no. Right? Minus 18-ish. 18. Okay. Well, split the difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but it, you know, bottom line is basically don't try to go for zero. You know, keep, keep some headroom in there. That's a good idea. So that's yeah. your preamp and you're bringing your signal in. From your preamp inside your your audio software, where are you going next? What is your second thing after your preamp? For for me, um, I, again, I, I like the Slate stuff, right? So I like to emulate um, a console. Mm -hmm. So I will usually have it going through a virtual console, which would be anything from like an SSL 4000 to a Trident or a Neve or an API. Um, Depending on what I'm kind of looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time, I have it firmly planted on like an SSL 4000, just because I kind of like that. And if I'm trying to something different, I'll experiment with that. But I'm going in through uh, preamp um, into a console, which I may or may drive a little bit to, sure. to color it the way I want it. Um, and then I'm generally hitting but but this becomes a little bit more this is not necessarily from a mixing stage but if i when i or when i'm printing vocals i may have just a slight bit of compression on there just to, to stop any kind of peaks and i'm not doing necessarily any like hard compression it it might be a db here and there mm -hmm. just to kind of keep the dynamics under control a little bit um yes yes and, yeah, and what what about you? Before I, I stumble <laughs> forward here, but uh. generally speaking, uh, I do the same thing. I pick out the channel strip, the console type emulation, mainly because I'm using the Universal Audio system, the right. Apollo system, whereas you're using the Slate. Uh, there's a multitude of preamp channel strip console type things that they have, whether it's the Neve 1073, the brand new one that we mentioned a week or two ago. Um, well, actually, we mentioned it quite a few weeks ago. 
<laughs> just flying by, damn it. The 1084, yeah. which is the slight update to the 1073. They also have the UA 176 and 175. They have the 610A and the 610B. You have choices from the API uh, system. You have choices from SSL and Helios and various other uh, board inputs yeah. and manufacturers. So those things are dependent upon what is my signal going for in the grand scheme of the song. So I choose that particular section for whether or not, um, well, not even whether or not, it's for the coloration that I want to come out of it uh, in, in, in terms of the recording. So every one of these consoles can get you a great, great sound. Every one of these things that you would run into get you a great sound. It's just, is it the right sound? And that comes yeah. from experimenting. So you play around and you try your SM57 mic with a Neve or an SSL or a Helios yeah. or what yeah. have you. Um, same thing if you have a C12 or a U47 or a TLM 103, which is another popular vocal mic. Uh, the What's the Sony? Is it the 5... What SM7 or the, well, or, there's an SM7, but there's another. Sony oh, that's, that's the sure. I'm sorry, but but the 800, the Sony yeah. 800 is another yeah. popular one. Uh, these are all things that you go and you spend some time messing around with, so you get the idea of how is this coloring the mic sound once I've got the mic chosen for the vocalist. Yeah. So that's my first step is to figure out what vibe do I want that mic to retain or give me once I'm starting to move down my vocal chain. Yeah. And uh, quite often, quite often with the vocal, I'm starting with a 1073. That's not 100% of the time, but quite often I find mm -hmm. myself starting with a 1073. And based on the C12, which is the most popular choice that I use for a vocal mic at this point, I'm generally not pushing much on the EQ at all. I'm it, depending on the vocalist. I might push the low end just a, a couple of dB. If mm -hmm. they've got a dark voice, even with a C12, it generally tends to be very clear and concise. I might push the high end if their voice is overly dark. Yeah. Um, so it's not a lot. And then from there, I just dial in the amount of gain to make sure that I'm getting a good signal to go into my yeah. next step, which for yeah. me, after the EQ of the input chain, is a compressor or a limiter. Yeah. So, and I, I kind of use that a little bit loose because limiters, some people don't see the 1176 as a limiter. I do. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but it, it, it depends a little bit on how hard you're running it though. Because I mean, it, it can go up to like, you know, if you got like, 20 to one, or if you got like all buttons in, you, you're, you're squarely rooted in like limiter lamp yeah. type of thing, and then, right? Well, and then there's also the distressor that a lot of people like to use, which yeah. is kind of beyond the level of a compressor, but it is- It's very, very it's flexible. very flexible. So yeah. uh, most often, most often for me, I'm going to be using a variant of the LA-2A. Yeah. However, if the vocal is highly dynamic and it needs a little bit more 
control. Groping in. <laughs> Groping, roping in, <laughs> lassoing, however you want to say it in your Western slang. Uh, I would probably choose something along the lines of the Distressor or the 1176. Yeah. In that regard. Uh, mainly because they do some pretty magical things to vocals at times. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That and would, it can be, be can be fairly transparent, especially the the uh, distressor, where you can use a fairly hefty amount of, of gain reduction, and it not sounding like you're using a hefty amount of gain reduction. Right, which uh, is the magic of the distressor in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Um, I'd like to backtrack a little bit to um, what you said about um, using different console emulations yes. and um, applying what's best with for this particular song that mm -hmm. you might be working on. Um, I would also encourage that, you know, it, it's great to experiment with these and be knowledgeable about them. Like Jody is, I mean, I, I know Jody very well, and you, you like to experiment just to kind of see what's happening there. If let's I'm say like for, that. Let's say that... Uh, you don't have that personality. Uh, that you say, no, I, ju I just want it. I just want to work the simplest way, whatever it is. That's fine too. What I would encourage then is pick one emulation that you like and get really, really good at using that one. Know what it does and do go it inside and out. The the changes that you can get, they're they're there with different emulations that, but they can be very subtle. So it's not that you have to have a black belt in in console emulations, you know, like Jody does. But uh, <laughs> um, boy, I'm getting but, all but these get weird titles using lately. One. Because it's, I mean, we know there there are people like you know before we got into the box where people would be spending their days in front of a Neve console or a Trident or an API or an SSL or something like that. They wouldn't necessarily, that was their tool. They wouldn't necessarily go, well, you know what? I think we're going to go um, to Studio XYZ because they have a Neve and we're going to do the bass tracks there. You know, it, it's a, if you're emulating, sure, that could have happened, but get good with one if you're not in uh, the mindset that you'd like to experiment. But, but that, that was the only point I, I wanted to make. But the experimentation is a lot of fun, though, isn't it? Really? <clears throat> oh, believe me, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's why I've it's, become like a preset monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen your, not only your, your bus routing, but uh, your, your preset folder structure, and it's... Um, you kind of need a map to follow along. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so uh, we're back to we're we're now out of compression and into EQ uh, or EQ into the compressor, however you like to do it. Um, for me, sure, if I'm tracking, um, and this is also something that we we talked about um, what, while tracking vocal in that episode, um, and just like you described, I would only use a little bit of EQ to do slight correction. Yeah, if it's, it, it's not needed. a lot. It's yeah, nothing it, drastic. Yeah, and it's um, also something that through your experience, you know that this is what I'm going to end up having to do in the mix. So to kind of get it there, um, you know, as much as possible, but that comes from just my experience and knowing that when you give somebody a vocal track or you're the mixer, it's like, here you go. 
here's the vocal. Yes. You know, and there's less work need to be done, less correcting. <laughs> Make it easier on your mix engineer. Yeah, and I pick your you sounds <laughs> up first instead yeah. of like waiting because as we I think we was it was before we started today we were discussing the fact of adulterated and unadulterated signal flow. Yes. And I had mentioned that early on in my digital recording days I was recording things as unadulterated no compression, no EQ, no whatever. I was trying to be as clean as I possibly could to get it into the DAW. And then I would spend ridiculous amounts of time in the post-production phase, <clears throat> as I still do, but for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was spending way too much time trying to get just a sound rather than the right sound. And I highly recommend getting the right sound when you're recording rather than just getting a sound when you're recording. Yes. So I adulterate things now. Yeah. And it's a much easier way to do things when it comes to mixing in the end run. Yeah. And I think um, I think we both used to do it that way and say, oh, we'll fix it later. But one thing that, at least from my lack of experience at the time, was that I didn't realize the the benefits of as you're sitting down to mix the ability to to not focus on mistakes and working faster is is very very beneficial because you start losing objectivity um, very quickly when you start hearing things again and again and again and again. So the better your tracks are by the time of mixing, you will not only mix faster, but I would argue better uh, because there's less things. That. I think that's yeah. true. Yeah. And uh, I think, um, you know, paying a little bit of attention to your signal change and like you said, Jody, getting it as, as close to where you know you're going to want it at the time of recording is is the way to go. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, okay, so... Now we're almost at the end of the chain here, right? As recording, almost. So, almost. almost. We got maybe one more step that you might like to do. Well, and I'm for thinking me, about tape. It is. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to think. You could just say it. Yeah. Uh, I am going the old school route. I, I started on a tape machine. It wasn't a nice <laughs> giant like Studer or Fostex or you know, Ampex, or it wasn't any of those. I started on a Tascam. Yeah. Many years ago. As we all did. As well, a lot of us did, not now. But at least now. our age. Yeah. <laughs> those that are getting up there in a few years. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So, but when I first went digital, it was supposed to be as clean as possible. And now it's like, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain magic that happens when you use tape. And again, using the experimental uh, downtime that I like to do, because I'm just a workaholic nut in that regard, I most of my chains finish off with some sort of tape emulation before it hits the DAW so that it already has tape kind of built into the sound. Yeah. So most but often... But when you're saying... You said before it hits the DAW. You're, mm -hmm. you're talking about when it hits the DAW in the in the sense of mixing, because oh, no. you're, you're tracking. You're actually oh, you're tracking. I'm tracking well, I guess like from I'm your tracking UA, right, right to tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in my case, what I would do that, I would add that because I, I don't track with them. I could, mm -hmm. uh, but I like to have them there. And then I sort of print that vocal with, sure. with that chain. So, As you so, go so, from so, when we talked about that in the mixed uh, episode where you're getting ready to go from tracking to mixing, the bouncing yes. out section. So yeah. I, depending upon the situation, like most often with certain instruments, like the vocal, since we're talking yeah. vocals today, I will actually track with the tape sound involved. Right. So I don't have to use that in the bounce phase to the mix. So more often than not, I am using the Studer A800. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> in the universal audio world, they have four different tape emulations that you can use. The 250, uh -huh. the 456, the 900, and the GP9. Now, each one of those formulations has certain characteristics to them. And the cool thing about the UA version of this plugin is, is that you can run these tapes at different IPS speeds, which yeah. is inches per second of how fast the tape is flying across the head. And the, you can do things that weren't cap that that tape wasn't capable of in yeah. its heyday, so to speak. <laughs> right. So you can do things that are a little out of the norm if you really wanted to. And the other thing is, is that in doing so, you can track with certain tape formulations that will give you a certain characteristic that's almost like an EQ and compression combined in addition to the any EQ console and compression you're already doing. Sure. So it adds that additional little bit of music magic, recording magic that makes yeah. your mix stage a lot easier if you already have it in there prior to mix, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, if I talk about a particular vocal chain and I have one up for a song that is to be released sometime in the not too long distant future called Aim High. And that was sung through a C12 which was going into the Vipri. From the Vipri, it went into a 1073. And it looks like there was no high-end manipulation. There was a probably about a half dB bump around 3.2K. And it looks like about a 1 dB bump at 110. And how then dare they, you? How no. dare me? Yeah, get a little bit more beef in the low end. And then from there, there was a, a high-pass filter that was set to 60. And <clears throat> that was going into an LA-2A from the gray period. Uh, that was catching a few things. It wasn't getting a whole lot, probably 1 to 2 dB in the dynamics of what it was catching. And from there, it's going into a Studer 800 that is running 900 tape formulation at 30 IPS and a plus 9 calibration, which got okay. me a quite clean vocal that sounded very natural for how percussive yeah. the vocal is on that particular track. So that's one particular vocal chain that I ended up using for a track called Aim High. It went from cool. the C12 into the Vipri, into a Neve 1073, into an LA-2A gray period, and then a Studer 800 running 900 tape uh, at 30 IPS plus 
and Good. that was the that was the vocal chain that was used on the verses for that song, not the choruses for the verses. And yeah. it gets a very very nice percussive vocal that doesn't sound biting and edgy. It just sounds warm and inviting with a very percussive vocal, which is cool. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. So I think that's a good example of, of kind of like a vocal chain. And um, to play devil's advocate here, just because I feel it needs to be said. Uh-oh. Um, it, no, because there's, it's a, I think there's a lot of that kind of thinking uh, with some people where um, everything has to be tape, it has to be tape, digital no. sucks, has to be tape. I know you're not that guy, but... For what what Jody's describing here is that when you're going to tape, it adds something sonically, not just just because it's the magic of tape, but it's adding something like some slight distortion, perhaps, or I shouldn't even say distortion. It, it, it's adding harmonics, but it's also an EQ curve and some slight compression because of that. So it's a sound that you're going for, and you shouldn't necessarily just slap it on because you think that our tape has to be better. You want to make sure that you use your ear to make sure that it's actually doing what it some... should be doing. <laughs> yeah. We're doing what you desire it to be doing. Yes. Um, so it's not, Oh, it has to be tape to get that. Well, only if it's, if it serves your purpose, you know, the, uh, I, I tend to do the same thing. I use slate BTM, a um, couple of different speeds, different, you know, IPS is different biasing, and uh, there's also a functionality that I really enjoy there. And I, I'm pretty sure that the, the Studer uh, UA has that as well. Which is? You can act, but it's the ability to remove some of the noise that the Yes, it does have in. that ability. However, and I didn't mention this on the vocal yeah. chain that I was just talking about. Yeah. I left the transformer noise on. Well, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, yes, right? Yes, that is true. Yeah. Sometimes so, I, I, oftentimes I actually turn the transformer noise off. Yeah. But on that particular one, I can see it right now because I have it pulled up in front of me on the computer. I left that on that time. Yeah, you're a brave soul. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Just kicked my microphone here. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so good vocal chain. I think going we're going microphone into the preamp or your interface uh, into kind of if you have an emulation of a, of a preamp just to adjust the levels a little bit maybe EQ compression or the other way around compression then EQ slight stuff and then maybe some some tape emulation there to get the the vocal as good because if you do your job well enough and like Jody described here with, with some with all the experiences that you've learned through the way now when you're well but when you're mixing now right you're you're yes. you can just think about okay i just want a little bit maybe i want a little bit of a slap on top of this or i might want a little bit of hall reverb or a plate or something like that mm -hmm. but you don't have to sit there and carve out frequencies if you have a good solid vocal you can just focus on the effect uh, level rides and certain mm -hmm. effects if you want them and it just makes the process faster and like i said before usually better so, well um, yeah that it, it it depends on where you want to spend your time on your vocal do you want to spend it a lot more in the setup and pre-production of it so that you're getting the right sound ahead of time 
or do you wish to waste a lot of time by not worrying about the setup and getting a good sound up front and then spending hours pulling your hair out trying to get the vocals strangled into something that actually sounds good later yeah i should have had a different mic man <laughs> or something you know i should have yeah. used a different this or a different that i should have got the sound uh not to to beat that horse dead it's all about i personally i think there's time well spent is usually in the pre-production phase and the, and getting the right sound up front rather than worrying about it after the fact because once it's tracked you can manipulate things but boy some things can get real difficult to fix <laughs> yeah this is true this is true so go for so, it up front uh, and get it right yeah i hear you i hear you so um on that note jody what do you think what do i think yeah i think we can maybe put a bow on this one here huh well, we could. I'd like to hear like a slate setup that you have about a vocal chain. That way we can be a little bit more fair. Okay. Um, so describe a, describe a vocal chain that you use. I will usually use um, a, usually the Neve um, 1073 preamp uh -huh. going in there. Um, in this case where I'm going through, just because I'm nerding and I don't have to, but I, I want to, <laughs> uh, I, I have a, a C12 emulation on here. Um, and in this case, I'm actually using a Telefunken. Uh, I'm also going through a um, SSL 4000 um, emulation. And that's it. I'm not using anything else. But but this is a very different thing. I'm obviously, I would spend a lot more time on it if it, if it was a vocal chain that I'm recording. Um, but I would go in, in my case, right into my Apogee interface. And I would use the Slate Rack and I would bring up either the, um, the, the Telefunken or the uh, 73, uh, the 1073 Neve Pre. Uh, go into, and then I would use the mic emulation. So I would go and... This is something that I would obviously choose depending on who the singer is that I'm recording. I'm not a, f a very good vocalist, so I do very, very little of my own vocal recordings. I, um, I, I want to interject for a quick second. You're sure. talking about using the 1073 before your mic emulation on your yes. ML1. Yes. Why would you not put the mic emulation first? Because you want to make sure that you feed enough signal into the mic. Okay, it's can... the same as if if you were in in reality, right? You well, would in have... reality, you'd just have the C twelve, and then it would be going into the ten seventy three the other way around. That's why I'm asking. Right? No, that that that's the reason for it. I would have I would boost enough in signal into the emulation so that that gets fed a healthy level and mm. and not the other way around. Interesting. That's a good question, but but yeah, that, but that's, it seems that's, it just seems very backwards to me. If I had mic emulation, which I do not currently, but I am mm -hmm. planning on getting it sometime in the future, uh, <clears throat> I always because, think that I would run the mic emulation first because that's the coloration that you're getting, and then you would bump out the signals and everything else afterwards. But that's well, how I would approach yeah. it. Yeah. 
No, that, that, that's just the way I, I tend to run it. Okay. So no, I was I, just curious. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, it no, it's, it's a very valid point. And you know what? I should probably do an experiment a little bit more with that yep. just to see when I get a, uh, a decent vocalist in here. But But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, that, that's the way I'm doing it. And um, then depending on what I want, I tend to do, um, again, when I'm tracking, it's very, very little. Of, uh-huh. of EQing going right. in, right? Well, no, but, I get that part. So yeah. I, I'm sorry that I got you completely. No, 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 no. Train, no it's so it's all good. But, but, but that's I'm going through it. But then it's it's very similar to you, uh, where I would um, again as I'm printing the vocal, I would probably use a tape emulation of some kind, uh, depending on what vocal it is, either 30 or 15 IPS, uh, and uh, see which type of tape would give me the sound that I want. Uh, so I got a couple of options in there. I don't have them in front of me right now, but I usually just do it by ear. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, very similar in, as as you would do it in, in the process there. The, the only difference is that I would record um, the vocal. I, I would have all the effects on there, uh, the emulations and so forth. So you get the sound of it, but but it's technically not printed until I print it. So right. one right. benefit of doing that or of this sort of having the mic emulation is that you could technically after the fact see which microphone that would be best suited for the voice. Sure. Right. Um, but again, that goes to whether or not you are spending your time on the pre-production or the production I w- prior Yeah, to I would definitely do it pre-mixing. Right. I would do it like, you know, I, I would probably do it um, at the time of setup and stuff and not having to go out and physically remove a microphone and put another one on there. We just, okay, it's literally a drop-down menu. It's like, no, let's try the SM7 or let's try an 800 or, sure. or a 47 or whatever it happens to be. So Yeah. Um, I've actually, I, I did it just to spot a thing for Slate. Steven Slate pulled me out of the crowd at NAMM yeah. <laughs> when the ML1 first came out yeah. and had me sing through the mic because he was yeah. asking, anybody here singing? And I'm like, I raised my hand and I got pulled yeah. out. So they did it where they did an emulation now. At NAMM, it's stupid, ridiculously hard to right. hear any, like, how awesome that could be. But they did go running through presets and yeah. showing how it changes the character of the vocal that they just tracked through this the ML1. So, uh, but yeah, that was a lot of fun to experiment with that. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why I would definitely like to have one of those kind of mic setups where you can emulate different mics just in case you don't have 30 grand to go get it, <laughs> like an RCA yeah. ribbon mic or something. And then realize that you, you know, oh, I, turns out that that doesn't sound very good on my voice. That right. sucks. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's good. That's yeah. good. All right. Well, it sounds we're we're using similar stuff just from different companies. Yeah. So the same thought process anyway. Yeah. Same thought process. Although, like yeah. I said, I'm still a little confused about running the mic thing after, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, then you can, <laughs> you know, you can think. Well, technically, I'm running two mic pre's because I'm running the the mic pre from the the you Apogee are. as well going yeah. into that. So, but it's just getting a healthy emulation or healthy emulation, healthy level into the mic emulation so but of course but of course course. all right jody all right chris Uh, i think it sounds like we're ready to wrap up with a bow so it's like we're gonna stop right there on the whole vocal chains thing uh if you 
as a listener have some particular chain that you're like, dude, I really want to know more about this. Hit us up, let us yeah. know, and we will be happy to put it, <clears throat> excuse me, on a list of things that we will talk about in a future episode. And yep. of course, we're not doing any kind of like overarching arc of multiple uh, episodes at this point, but we will talk about varying chains for different instruments in the future as well. Yep. Yep. So with that, I'll say see you later. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And have an awesome day. All right. And everybody out there in inside the studio, recording studio land, we will see you.